That's right, it's your boy Ryan Leslie, Work Radio, iHeartMedia, Art of the Hustle. Can't wait for you guys to tune into this episode with my man, Deshaun Amira, founder and CEO of Maven. He talks about his journey, how to take it and make it from Oakland to traveling all over the world and figuring out what his real purpose in life and passion is and why that was so important to making Maven the business that it is today and will be in the future. Tune in, Art of the Hustle. What's up, what's up? It's your boy Ryan Leslie, Work Radio, iHeartMedia, Art of the Hustle, this episode. Man, it's great to be actually sitting down and speaking to one of my homies, Deshaun Amira. Yeah. The name of your company? Maven. I, I'm just excited to be able to have you on this episode, man. Man, so. honor, honor to be here, man. I appreciate it, man. Give me yeah. the opportunity. Let's get into it. I think for everyone that's listening for the first time, it's just you should just give you know a 30-second overview of what is Maven. Okay, so um, like you said, the uh, name of the company is Maven and uh, started here in Oakland, California. Um, it's where I'm from. And the entire mission behind Maven is to empower hair salons and hairstylists to retail products without having to buy or hold any inventory. As most people know who are are in African-American community, um, 95% of black hair salons don't retail any products at all. It's a, you know, it's big, long, you know, kind of journey to, to getting here. But fundamentally what I wanted to do was empower my community to take part in um, and, and have ownership in the distribution of the products that we consume. Yes. And, what I really admired about our conversation was that you really have a very clear, focused, crystallized idea about how you're going to get to the solution to the challenge that you just described. And also, you, you really didn't have any bones about talking real numbers, because I, I know a lot of sort of like early stage entrepreneurs, especially in the music industry, they fudge. You're really about the economics. And so how well is Maven actually doing from where it started? Yeah, um, you know, so Maven's three years old. Um, we, uh, we, we, uh, we. The business is driven through hairstylists. So we acquire hairstylists and we empower them with all these e-commerce tools to provide these uh, products to their clients. Then we do all the shipping and fulfillment, and customer service. Um, so we've acquired um, close to sixty thousand hairstylists now. I think it's like fifty-eight thousand stylists that we've acquired over the past three years. Um, Done over thirty million dollars in revenue already. We're uh, we are projecting to do at least that in total next year. We've raised thirteen million dollars to date um, in in venture capital and and angel. Money. Great. So, founded in Oakland. What was it like growing up in Oakland? You know, I don't have like one of those stories. It was like, oh, I was you know, I had a lemonade stand when I was, you know, um, but. I was like an I was like an outside kid, right? I was outside of the house a lot. I was just kind of out and learning how to get around and get get along through life and you know through people and circumstances. And I think that's generally what you know where entrepreneurship comes from is just sort of being able to um, be in ambivalent situations or you know chaos and then be able to turn that into um, an advancement somehow. Um, and so. I think kind of some of the the chaos in my early life growing up in Oakland. I you know grew up without my father and my mother was working extremely hard. She was out of the house a lot, <clears throat> and so just being out 
I was I was always a very independent, um, independent kid and, and always sort of like doing things the way I wanted to do it. And so actually most of the people in my family were not entrepreneurial. They were academics. So like um my my mother was a doctor. Um uh I did not grow up with my father um at past past the age of five, but he was a lawyer. Um, but you know, he bad lifestyle decisions and drugs and all this stuff. And we lost my father when I was five, but you know, my grandfather on my mother's side, he's a physicist for Lockheed. And then my grandfather on my father's side is a reverend. So I had all these people in my family who were academics and also very like social justice oriented, right? We had like, you know, socialists and, and black Panthers at the Thanksgiving. And so a lot of it was coming up was it was about community and it was about social justice and it was very, um, you know, a lot of it was like anti-business, right? Yeah. If you're from the Bay Area, you know what I'm talking about. Like it's, it's very like progressive left, which is why it was sort of ironic that where I ended up was going towards business. But to me, it was what I found and what I, the conclusion that I came to was that you can't really structurally change, um, you know, these things in society or have that sort of impact without embracing um, and using capitalistic systems and business. You have to be able to embrace and understand business and finance if you want to be able to exert any power or control over the way that things are structurally um, formed in this world. And so that's why Maven became such a focus for me because it was like, damn, this is a way that I can create both I can satisfy like the, the entrepreneur in me and build this big ass business and we can make a lot of money. But also this is a way that I can build something for my community. That's a platform that even after I'm gone, people can make money on this platform. Um, and that's what I want. And so what was the actual pathway to getting an MBA? So I went to college on the East Coast. I went to Hampton University, black okay. college. I know. Um, it. By the way. Um, and when I was in, uh, I think, a sophomore, I was sophomore in, in college, I wanted to study abroad and I went to Japan. Kicked it in Japan for like six months, blew my top off. I was just like, oh shit, I need to travel. I yeah. want to travel. That's that's like all I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, the next summer, I went to Spain. I was like, I'm doing this thing again. Studied abroad in Spain. And then when I was uh, going to graduate, and I was a sociology major, still had no plan I had no plan on like what I was gonna do I just was like I don't want to go get a job I want to travel and I had this mentor at the time who was like in the international department she was like yo you should just go to China and you could teach English out there and there's stuff going on over there you might you know maybe some business stuff you could get into and I was like cool let's do it and so I just moved to China right after college I went there to teach English had zero experience teaching English. Literally week one in China, they grabbed me and put me in a classroom with 55 Chinese fourth graders. And they were like, teach, teach them. I had no idea what I was doing at all. Managed to kind of like find my way through that. But when you get to China, you're surrounded by people who are hustling. People talk about China as like this communist place. No, it's like the most... You like capital driven, you know, entrepreneurial place you could ever go to. Everybody got to hustle. Everybody is involved in trade or export in some way. 
right? Like China is like the world's manufacturer. So everybody, their entire economy is driven by it. So everybody has some sort of relationship to that. So I'm coming from Oakland. I get out here and I'm just looking for like opportunities. And I see I'm surrounded by cheap stuff. So I'm just like, damn, I could sell that back home for, for this. I, I could sell that, you know. And so it was just sort of natural, right? The hustle just sort of kind of came out and I was just like, you know, and honestly, the first thing I started moving was shoes. I started buying kicks. I started buying Jordans, um, Nikes, and um, I would send them back home. You know, my cousins would move them for me and send send back the money. Then I would, you know, every now and then I would pop back to the States and, and uh, like, visit people and I would I would bring back big suitcases of uh, uh, shoes and Jordans and I would I would take my mom's Previa and I would drive to all the the barbershops. You know, if you grew up going to the barbershop, you know that the barbershop was always a, a, a retail point of distribution. For sure. Right? It, it wasn't really infrastructurally set up like that and that's not the way it's looked at and defined, but people went to the barbershop and vendors and merchants would come there and sell things. And so we've taken that concept with Maven and we're putting infrastructure around that and creating a system around that. So anyway, for the next four years, I was popping back and forth between China and the States, buying containers of furniture, art, clothes, shoes, everything. Um, Got a, you know, condo and a warehouse in Miami would just go out to China with a bunch of cash in my backpack and we would go to these factories, load up containers, ship them back, got the freight forwarding company, um, figured out the customs and the tariffs and got a warehouse and then we'd just post post ads on Craigslist and then people would come to the warehouse and just pay cash and just, yeah. and, just and, spend. and so that's how that's how I learned about supply chain and, and distribution. That very much informs everything that I'm doing right now. But it got to the point where I realized that I was looking at business through a very simple lens of just like stack and flip, stack and flip. Which is how a lot of young people, especially in the hood, that's how they, that's how they look at business. It is. It is. And, and it is, that's, that's the, the fundamental building block of all business. Yeah. It is, right? Buy, you buy something low and you sell high, right? Um, so it's good to get that, that information. But, you know, as I started to meet people that were really doing things, you know, you really start to understand how much you don't know. That feeling that I, there's all this, this stuff that I don't know really pushed me to want to go figure out how to penetrate a different world, a different level of business, right? A corporate level of business. I remember I was I was sitting at Bayside in Miami and I had a friend who was there with me and he used to trade currency. He was like in banking. And I was he was talking to me about trade and I was telling him about products and yeah, and like, you know, shipping companies and they move products all over yeah. the world and all this stuff. And, <laughs> and I was like, yo, man, like products like run the world. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, that's cool. He's like, but you know who runs the world? And he was like, he just pointed up and I looked up, and it was a Bank of America building. And I was like, fuck, fuck, I don't know shit. Right. Like, who's in that building? <laughs> who's in that building, sure. and what are they doing? For sure. And how am I going to find out? I had no way to find out. I don't have people in my family who are corporate business people or um, even entrepreneurs. So for me, it was like, I really want to go to business school. I want to get access to—I want to go in those buildings. Yeah. And I want to know— 
what's in them spreadsheets they're looking at. And I want to be able to talk that language and understand it. I define a lot of the problems that you'll have to overcome. Or let's say you're trying to get to higher, to different levels. Each level has its own language, right? And so for me, it was like, if you want to be in those rooms, in those conversations, in order to get the things out of that that come from those conversations, you have to be able to speak that language. That's a big part of or a big challenge for those of us who you don't grow up in a business environment or you don't have a lot of experience in corporate environment or in Silicon Valley and the way that Silicon Valley operates and the way that people talk here. You first have to overcome a language barrier, right? Just so you can even translate your very valid and legitimate business idea, but you have to be able to say it the way that people can hear it. On the road to getting financing from Maven, that was a big hurdle for me also. How did you end up in East Africa? So East Africa was basically part of finishing out the MBA. So I did this MBA program at Georgia State University. It was like a dual degree program with Georgia State and the Sorbonne in Paris. So um, it was modules and you studied for a few months in different countries. So you do a few months in Paris, then we did a few months in Brazil, in Rio, um, and that's for a whole nother podcast. Yes, but, it and is. And then we did some time in uh, in in China, and then the rest of it was in Atlanta. Um, and then to finish that MBA, you had to do an internship. And so I ended up doing an internship with Ernst & Young at uh, in Addis Ababa. And it was like business advisory. Basically, what I was working on was foreign direct investment. So like Indian companies, Saudi companies, Chinese companies who were investing in Ethiopia in like agriculture. So they're like, yo, we're going to, you know, we're going to, you know, we're going to buy this big plot of land here or lease it. And we're going to grow tahini seeds and Mm -hmm. then export it back to, you know, wherever. And so helping people think through that stuff. Thanks for tuning in. It's time to take a quick break to hear from our brand partner. Hi, my name's Mike Woodward, and I'm the founder and CEO of Woodward Design Group. We specialize in custom web solutions for our clients. We found that Squarespace is quick and easy to use both for us and our clients. We use it for our own websites. My wife uses it for her business. I use it for even our own business, uh, promoting that we build websites for clients. Uh, if you need a domain, you can find one there. If, if you need a quick and easy splash page, it's there too. But what's really great about it is... It's, it's a solution that, that you don't have to worry about the hosting. It's included. You don't have to worry about the templates. It's there. You can put a beautiful website together in, in a matter of moments. I'm Mike Woodward. I'm the owner of Woodward Design Group, and we build web solutions for our clients. Check out Squarespace today and use the code WORK to get 10% off a Squarespace service. And we're back. So... I was reading the other day a blog post that uh, my buddy uh, Rodney from Listener had written about how he actually came up with his big idea. What was that moment for you? I mean, you'd already had your advanced lemonade stand story. You had, you had gotten your <laughs> right. MBA. Right. You you had uh, really understood how small the world really is, yeah. you know, in terms of yeah. how it's interconnected. When did you have your idea moment where you said, yeah. look, this is the idea that I definitely want to devote a decade or two or three to? Yeah, exactly. Um, so when I finished my MBA, I moved back to the Bay Area. And I knew at that point I want to build something 
And I wanted to connect all of this supply chain, all of this stuff that I've been doing all these years with the internet. And I want to build something big. I just wanted it to be impactful. By that time, that's how I felt. I felt empowered like that, like I could build something big. And it was around that time when, you know, all this Facebook was just going bonkers. And, you know, you're hearing all this stuff about Silicon Valley, Silicon Valley, Silicon Valley. And, you know, I'm reading through these, I'm reading these articles and I'm like, wait a second, wait, hold up. Like, you're telling me right across the water from where I'm from, they're handing out 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 million dollar checks to kids? I was like, no, I'm getting some of that. I knew that I wanted to build something that was going to connect the internet with what I'd done. Um, and I wanted it to be impactful. And so I didn't rush it. I didn't know what it was going to be. The, you know, the time period from between finishing my MBA and then starting Maven was, it's probably the part of my story I'm most proud of. I moved back into my mother's house. I didn't take a job because I was like, if I took a corporate job, I'm just going to be like all my brain power is just be going to this thing and I won't be able to really focus or research or do things I needed to do. So I took menial jobs like I was valeting cars and raking leaves, shit like that to just put a few dollars in my pocket to pay my cell phone bill and my, and my, you know, my insurance on my car and lived at my mom's house. But meanwhile, I'm like thinking of ideas and I'm researching, you know, and I'm sitting at Starbucks on the Internet trying to go over shit and coming up with ideas. Um, but, you know, I'm like 30 years old. Mom's looking at me like, yo, you got an MBA. And then my <laughs> friends are looking at me like, yo, yeah, you're you just got an MBA. What are you doing? You parking cars? What, yeah. What's going on? You know, and so like that sort of pressure. And your ability to just say, no, I'm not going to cave to the the notion that I have to be out there and get a job and, and just do it because that's what I'm supposed to do. And I'm going to sit here like that, that, that pressure really, really sits on you, right? That weighs heavy on you. I just believed I had, there was something in me that needed, that was going to come out. And, and it was just a matter of time before what it was. And so during that time, a family member of mine asked me if I could help her get a supply of hair extensions from China. I did that. I took it to these hair salons in Oakland to see if it was good quality. And they were like, yeah, can you get some more? And so then it just started as, oh, I can just do this to make some more money. Because damn, I'm buying this thing for this. And I could sell it for three, four X when I'm like buying. Okay. So I don't got to park the cars. I can make, you know, way more money doing this. You know, so for the next six months, I'm just driving around Oakland the same way I did with the shoes, and right. I'm selling hair right. out of the trunk of my car now. The more I did it, the deeper I got into it, and the deeper I got into the economics. And now I'm looking at it not just through the stack and flip mode, but I'm looking at it through this new lens that I had, right, in business and, and, and corporate finance. You know, I'm able to in, imagine a business through the lens of a, of a, of a P&L, you know, right. and a cash flow statement and a right. balance sheet. Um, and, and platform building. And platform building, right. exactly. Um, and competitive advantage and, and all of these things. And it just struck me that, wait a second, I'm driving up to these salons where they're installing tens of thousands of dollars of these products every month, but they don't sell it. This market is warped, seriously warped. It seems to just be a problem of distribution and capital. I understand the distribution part. I understand the whole entire supply chain, where these products come from, 
we can handle that part. If I could just create a platform or an infrastructure to allow this hairstylist to be the one who sells it, but without her needing money to buy inventory and to manage inventory and all that shit, damn, we can build maybe the most powerful distribution channel for these products that there is. And that was the aha moment. It's one thing to just have like a good idea that you're like, damn, this can work. But it's another thing to say, this thing can work because I am specifically suited to do it, right? I am the best person to do it. And like I said before, it fulfills something in me beyond just we just make some money. Yeah. Right. And so all those things aligned. And that's what basically made me say, you know what? This is it. This is me. Right. I have to do this. And how do you get from that idea and that aha moment and that perfect marriage of the person to the concept, to the execution of the concept, to $13 million in the bank in Silicon Valley as a brother? Again, I knew I was going to have this barrier, this hurdle to get over, which was like culture. If I was going to go like build a real like tech company, I need to understand the language in the world of like the like tech, right? So I started going to all these events, started going to all these tech events. I would go to pitch contests and I would listen to investors on these panels and, and, and I would listen to entrepreneurs pitching and I would, you know, take notes on like how the way that they're talking about acquiring a customer, you know, my customer acquisition costs versus the lifetime value of a customer, yeah. right? Like in in normal just street talk, we would just say like, yeah, I buy it for 20 and they're, you know, and then and sell it for 100, right? Yeah. And they'll come back three times this year and buy it again. There's a way that you say that and you package that so that it can be received did a lot of that going to these events i picked up i don't even remember some you know you know the, the lean startup you know and eric reese you know i you know i tuned into all these you know things that i would hear you know so just started absorbing that um at the same time i kind of knew that i needed to demonstrate a little bit that this thing could actually work um, and that was the most important thing that i needed to do as a first step right you don't you don't want to just go out there and just be trying to raise and ask people for money for some shit that you don't even know for yourself. Right. If, if you even has a chance of working, I built this little tiny prototype, not, and I don't say built as in like I coded something up, you know, you know, you can like do these off the shelf, drag and drop, make a yeah. website things. You don't have yeah. enough to code or anything. I made one of those and got a few hairstylists to just use it. Didn't even go to get hair. I would just put hair up there and when people would order it, I would run to the beauty supply store and just go buy it and, and just ship it. And the idea was just like, yo, this is just an MVP. I'm just going to prove that if I give the stylist this solution, she will distribute or he will distribute. Um, and that was like the fundamental base hypothesis that the entire business is built on. So started doing that, got a few hairstylists to do it. Around that time, I linked up with my co-founder who actually we knew each other from 04 because he was, he's like a sneakerhead and he used to sell shoes like rare release Nikes and Bapes and all this stuff in right. these like forums and eBay and stuff like that. And uh, I was like selling shoes at the time. Someone connected us. And so we knew each other and uh, I even helped him get a bunch of shoes that like, that would come out in Japan or in, in Hong Kong. I would fly and get these shoes and then right. we would flip them together. So he had just got finished actually selling an e-commerce business. Yeah. So he started a, a business called Group Swoop. It was sort of like a Groupon type of, type of business. Um, 
And he had just sold that company. And we relinked. I told him what I was working on. We started kicking it. He started just sort of lending me a hand on the on the technical side of things. And then it was just like, yo, let's just do this. And we just said, all right, let's just do this. And then, you know, just kept pounding the pavement, going to these pitch events. Then I started participating in the pitch events. Right. Um, and I started winning the pitch events. Like, I would win, but then the panelists would be like, that sounds amazing, but I don't know anything about hair extensions and black yeah. women or anything, so I can't really do it. I can't yeah. invest in that. <laughs> Never real so, to the wire clear. Right, exactly. So, um, ultimately, we ended up applying to 500 startups, okay. and we got into this accelerator. But, you know, between the time I had the idea and getting into 500 startups, that was, you know, that was like two years. Wow. Or something. That was like a year and a half or something. And And actually, sorry, I forgot to mention, this is critical, between that time two women that i knew from studying abroad in japan right her name is kali jordan she went to spelman and we met she was on the same study abroad program in in japan her and her best friend we were all cool and i told them what i was doing and early on they were like yo we'll invest in that and they showed up and they they each put in like 10 grand and um another guy that i knew who worked at zynga he was like, I'm going to tell my mother about this. She didn't know me from Adam, man, and, and was like, I'm supporting that. Ten grand. We got the first $48,000. That way. F- that way, right, from, like, black women who this business is built to support. And by the time we got into 500 startups, of that 48000 there was 6000 left. So they got us there. And do you believe that being a minority coming to the table with real revenue and a product that worked— helped you to overcome the challenge or the stigma or the hurdle of getting to the money as a minority in the Valley? I think a lot of African-Americans, when you grow up, you're told you're going to have to work twice as hard to get the same. And, and so then if you're really about it and you're like, I'm going to go get this shit, you, you keep that mentality with yeah. you. And you don't sort of, I never had the mentality that um, anybody owed me to give me money, like to, right. to invest in Maven or that like it was like I took for granted that I was going to get funded or anything like that. I, the whole time was sort of like, man, if you're going to do this shit, if you think you're going to actually do this, man, you're going to have to come so hard. You're going to have to come so hard with this, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, with this. Um, and so it was always about how do we generate revenue to show, yes. to show them. Not like, oh, I can just tell this story and it's just uh, not like we're going to have to show them because people would literally just be like, huh, hair, black women. That's, you know, they would just immediately say that's small without even asking the Tam. They would just assume that if something had to do with black women, it was small. Right. That level of like lazy thinking. We focused very much on how do we generate revenue we started out just using instagram like not jumping in the dms but we would like search hashtag of like we would search like hashtag hair weave killer so that we could find hairstylists because they were they were the ones posting all these pictures and then hashtag and hair weave killer and then we would just in their comments i would just say hey do you want to sell hair no inventory required email us and they emailed us and then started off getting like two people a day and then it was like three and then it was like six and then we got to the point we had like maybe like three or four employees and we'd get like 10 in a day and we would just like ring the bell like oh shit we got 10 people you know signed up today um but these were revenue generating 
people. They came on board. We had the platform. We had the hair for them. And they just went on to sell. But that's also, you know, that's also a function of starting with a product that actually people actually want. Yeah. We're going to do some quick fire just about work-life balance. Uh, how do you actually balance work and life? I, I, I would definitely say, like, the, you know, social and relationship life has been, it, it's, it's tough to try to balance with this um, because you are, not only are you putting so much time in, but emotionally, it's a roller coaster. Yeah. So you're already, like, you're already on thin ice all the time. How many employees do you have uh, today? 37 37, 37 and, and a co-founder, uh, yeah, which exactly. is a relationship, right, exactly. own relationship. Right, right. Yeah. Um, like what, what, you know, what I really trying to do is you want to take those, like the emotional part of it, I think is that's the part that is the most exhausting. It's, um, as an entrepreneur, you can, it's like, you can never turn off the business in your head. Right. It's always talking to you. The business is always talking to you in your head. You're constantly having conversations in your head about the business. And with those conversations are emotions attached to them, right? And so right. if you let it, if you let that get out of hand, you're inside, you're just going up and down, up and down, up and right. down. If you, if you allow that, you know, like what I've worked on is trying to not let emotions carry me away all the right. time internally. You know, I'm not going to be a hypocrite, right? I'll tell you how how it, it ends up working out for me, right? Like, if I'm getting up early, working out, drinking water, I'm winning. All day, I'm winning. The first half of this year, I was winning. I was 5.30, running, hooping, go get my coffee, chill, quiet, then go into work have my water bottles. I'm drinking the water. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? That whole thing. And I'm a machine. I'm right. optimized. I'm running. I'm working. I'm feeling good. I'm like, everything's flowing. Midway through the year, I took a trip somewhere. I don't know. I didn't, you know, for two, three days. And next year, it just started like snowballing. And next yep. thing you know, I'm like dragging my ass out of bed at like yep. eight and like just getting to the office, right? Um, and you can see, you can see the the, the productivity decrease right. when you do that. So it's not easy, right? It's not easy to constantly stay on it. We all know this, right? Everybody knows they need to be in the gym, but... I'll, I'll probably say this year I've seen it and experienced it vividly. The difference when, you know, when you're working out and drinking water and sleeping, getting up early, yeah. right, for me. So have there been specific mentors? I mean, I'll be honest with you. I've had a lot of. For sure. I've had a lot of those. For sure. Um, for an entrepreneur, it's a. It's a necessity. It's a necessary part of the process for you to really get where you want to go is yeah. that you have to develop relationships with people who have been already where you're going in some form or another and who are somehow invested in you you yeah. winning. Um, and there are different mentors for different stages. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and for different stages, exactly. Yeah. And that's why I say I've had some that are so important at certain times. And yeah. then, you know, like like the mentor I talked about who was at Hampton, who was like she ran the the, the, the international studies department. What's her name? Right. Uh, April Burris. Right. Um, she ran the, the international studies department at Hampton uh, when I was there. And she was the one that opened my whole mind to like the rest of the world. And then today? Carl Jacob. And he ended up being one of our an investor as well. Um, 
Carl Jacob, man, he's like Yoda, right? Okay. To us, right? Okay. For us, like we kind of call him our Yoda, right? Okay. He's, uh, you know, maybe four, five time entrepreneur, successful e-commerce guy, um, and was like Mark Zuckerberg's first advisor wow. at, at Facebook or wow. something like that. Um, and was through that whole growth of like Facebook through from the very, very beginning. Um, saved our ass, you know what I mean? Two or three times. And, um, and then another guy, I want to say like Mike, Michael Bush. Um, okay. And he's like a veteran Oakland entrepreneur, CEO. He's been CEO of, you know, a few huge, huge companies. Um, and, when I was first getting out here and figuring out what I wanted to do, you know, Mike Bush was like, he was like, stop. He said, you're not going to um, make any money until you figure out how to make other people money. Kind of flipped my thinking about that. But he's another kind of like go-to who I know I can get like real, real talk from. For sure. Uh, yeah. So it's been super insightful, man. I, I appreciate it, man. So many nuggets in here. Yeah. Uh, for people that want to continue the dialogue, they need to come with a value proposition to get your time, you know. <laughs> but uh, uh you, you have social handles or you know, um, ways that people can follow your journey. You got Deshaun, a blog. Deshaun I. That's that's me on Instagram. And on that's Desha- two I's. Uh correct. Deshaun In- is D-I-I-S-H-A-N-I. At, okay. Uh, and that's Instagram. Twitter is Deshaun.Emira. I'm not a very prolific Twitter user, right. but that is my my handle. Right. Um, and I always end with this question. If you could trade jobs with anybody in the world, who would it be and why? Trade jobs? I'm not trading jobs with anybody. I like this job, man. All right, that's it. If you like what you heard today, make sure you come back and check out more Art of the Hustle stories. For more about Art of the Hustle, go to iHeartRadio.com slash Art of the Hustle. 